I'm Kyle McNulty, and you're listening to Secure Ventures, the show that follows cutting-edge founders in the cybersecurity space to understand their plights, glories, and revolutionary products. With me in this episode is Garish Ridikar. Garish embodies the philosophy of throwing things at the wall until something sticks. As we discuss in the episode, in the late 2000s, he developed a series of different products in the recruiting space via rapid iteration of sometimes just a few months. Garish and his co-founder Ragu settled on RecruiterBox, which was later acquired in 2018. Now, the same dream team is building Sprinto, a continuous compliance and security platform for both cloud and on-prem. As further testament to the team's quality, they raised a $10 million Series A earlier this year. Before we get into the episode, a quick note from our sponsor, Northstar. Northstar redefines vulnerability management by infusing business context into vulnerability prioritization and remediation. Combined with industry-leading threat intelligence and exploit prediction, Northstar acts as an early warning system that gives your security team more time to remediate, more time to plan, and more time to focus on all your other risk priorities. Simple, flexible, and automated, Northstar maximizes your risk reduction efforts while minimizing your remediation costs. Get in touch via email at connect at northstar.io, and you can find that email address in the episode description. Garish, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about your background, because before you founded Sprinto, you had a rather long history as a recruiter, or at least working in the recruiting space and founding recruiting companies. You founded several recruiting companies, to my understanding, that for one reason or another kind of fizzled out over the course of a short trial period of a year. And then you founded RecruiterBox, which ended up exploding and was later acquired. So tell me that story about how this whole recruiting arc came together and what that journey looked like for you. Um, so recruiting and RecruiterBox was a little bit incidental. Uh, Okay. The honest answer is, uh, you know, I and my co-founder Raghu were, uh, you know, we were thinking of ideas to build uh, build a startup around. Hmm. Uh, we had some prior experience uh, related to recruiting, not because we were recruiters per se, but we, we happened to join teams where the teams kind of uh, were hiring a lot. And so we got sucked into a lot of hiring related things in the companies hmm. that we were in. So I remember I was in a company where we grew from like a three people team to an 80 people team over the span of about 20 years. So, you know, uh, you can imagine that I just got sucked into hiring, did a lot of interviewing just to help the folks out. And we, we had this thing called an applicant tracking system, which is, uh, you know, just uh, uh, a technical name for a CRM for hiring. And uh, this was this expensive enterprise applicant tracking system that my company had purchased, but no one in the team would touch that system with a 10-foot pole. And <laughs> it, it, it was just one of those things where we would always find ways to work around that system. We continued to use spreadsheets or share drives and, and you know just manage the process the way we wanted it in spite of repeated reminders from our recruiting team. So uh, I, I didn't think much of this, but uh, you know when I and my uh, friend were talking about things that we could build. This was one of those things that we thought was interesting. And, and you know, we were generally interested in recruiting as a space. So uh, we were naive back then. We didn't really know what, what it entailed to really build a business. Uh, we quit our jobs, started this. We didn't really know. We, we had savings for about a year and, and we dived, dove right in. And uh, we realized that a year isn't enough. Uh, we built a couple of things. 
didn't work out. Uh, we did built a few more things, didn't work out. Uh, and uh, I think there was a point where we built like a, uh, more than a few things for a couple of years, didn't have much to show for it before we actually built Recruiter Box, which thankfully for us uh, found some early traction. And mm. uh, you know, from there on, the journey was very different. But that was that was kind of a journey. Um, and and one of the tidbits that not many people know about there is that. I and my co-founder did not know programming before we actually started doing the startup. So we had to mm. teach ourselves programming. So all through those failed attempts of building products, uh, one of the things that was very useful is that we knew how to build products because we just built so many of them. Right. Uh, and uh, which was useful in hindsight, but frustrating at the time. But, uh, you know, so so we, we built Recruiter Box. It found some traction. So from 2011 through 2017, um, uh, we, we grew that business. Um, at, uh, you know, it was a bootstrap company, which among other things meant that the founders ended up doing a bunch of things that were, um, you know, hands-on in a manner. So in the beginning, sure. it was programming and then it was engineering management and then product management and design and sales and marketing and everything pretty much that is needed to run a <laughs> yeah. software company was at some point of time done by us with hands before we could hire people who could do those things. So that was, that was a very... Uh, um, enlightening experience in some way because i got to see a business up close um, and uh, in 2017 we were um, we were close to 3000 customers growing by about 100 new customers a month uh, wow. a fairly rapid clip at which point we were acquired by uh, a private equity firm which was trying to build a suite of hr software mm. now <clears throat> while the specific uh, area we were working with was recruiting uh, what we were fundamentally building was a business software and one of the things that we learned while we were building that software and trying to take it upstream was that, uh, hey, uh, as you're trying to go after larger and larger or more serious customers, you get asked security questionnaires and you get asked for questions about, hey, what yeah. are you doing with my data? Uh, are you keeping it safe? And at first, we used to deal with it in in, in ad hoc manners. Like we would, we would get on the call, try and answer their questions, et cetera. But at some point, it became clear that you need some uh, attestations and and you know security uh certifications and, and so we we sort of kicked the can as much as we could uh but eventually it became uh clear that we need these certifications like SOC 2 and ISO right. 10001. so there began our journey of uh you know trying to figure these things out uh, uh, as a bootstrap company again hmm. we were trying to figure this out ourselves we hired hired a consultant uh the person spent about six months at our place and you know six months later and tens of thousands of dollars down the drain later we still couldn't see any light at the end of the tunnel uh, right. and, uh, so the long and short of that is was a very pleasant experience for us uh, so once we exited recruiter box we we spent about a year and a half uh, you know not really working on a startup but we were looking at ideas we were thinking about what to do next but this was one of the experiences that stayed with us and sprinto is quite simply based on that, that that simple pain point. If you are a software uh, SaaS company today, you're building business software today, you are handling your customers' data and your customers are increasingly asking you for how you uh, how you're keeping the data safe and secure. Yeah. And uh, Spitter recognizes that uh, the ability to prove your security practices to a third-party auditor is, is not trivial. It takes away a lot of time, effort, and energy over and above making yourself secure. And we're designed to sort of help you automate that process and get you through that line faster, cheaper, mm. better. 
Well, sorry, long answer to your question, <laughs> but that, that that was the whole story. No, I was just gonna say you did a perfect job of of transitioning that all in one answer already to Sprinto. So that was uh, very well done. You're doing my job for me. There is one piece I have to go back to though before we get too far into Sprinto. I've heard this story kind of increasingly over and over again from different founders where they say, I knew I wanted to build a company, didn't know exactly what that company was going to be. What was it for you that that caused you to know that you wanted to build a company and that it was time to go through that iteration process and uh, work with Ragu in order to to build something? Um, I... I honestly don't remember now. To be perfectly <laughs> honest, uh, okay. what I what I knew that uh, you know what was happening at the time was that we were uh, interested in business while we were uh, you know we, we were uh, in, in some sense of a technical background in the sense that we had engineering backgrounds, but but we were always interested in business. Right. And, and I remember that uh, both I and my co-founder had this thing where it's we were either going to do an MBA or or, or we were going to build a business and these sure. were the, this was like a fork on the road for us <laughs> and I, I remember we were trying to write all these essays for the mbas and and sure to be honest it, it, it looked a little bit like a bullshit thing because uh you know you're writing these statements of purpose and, and stuff like that there was there was a little bit of uh i, I don't know it, it didn't seem authentic to me uh at the time sure. so so uh, we sort of told ourselves that Okay, like apart from the fact that you maybe get to network with other people, I'm, I'm not really sure how you learn business inside of a classroom. And, and uh, uh, it's not like we knew much about business, but th- that seemed like a little bit of a disconnect in our heads. So, so mm. we said, you know, maybe we should try this. And, and remember at the time when we did, decided to do this in perfect honesty, it, it's not like we committed to it long term. We said, okay, let's give it a shot for sure. 12 months, see, see what happens. Uh, and then we'll see. And those 12 months turned into 18 and then 24 months. And, and that was only after that when that recruiter box was actually born. So I think uh, I wouldn't at least say that this was, uh, you know, sort of this burning desire to really start a company that that got us there uh, as much as I'd like to believe that. Honestly, it was a little incidental in my case. Okay. Yeah. And so one of the things that I'm quite vocal about just after hearing so many different entrepreneur stories is that the kind of universal common theme with so much other variants is resilience and just kind of staying committed to whatever it is that you're working on and kind of pushing through. Uh, and eventually you're going to catch a break and you're going to have some success there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, a lot of these founders have gone through different challenges. And obviously, there are some times where you need to go ahead and wrap up shop and, and do something else. Now, with that in mind, you mentioned the story of, hey, we iterated a few times and we failed. And we iterated a few more times and we failed. And then we started Recruiter Box. And to my understanding, that was all within like a year and a half period. So how did you know for all these different ideas that you were working on that it was time to move on after maybe just spending a couple of months on each one? That's actually a very good question. I don't think we did a great job of that. Now, if if I think about it in hindsight, if, if we had sort of spent a little bit more time or effort in, in some of those directions, there was possibility of a business there. But, you know, at the time you don't see it. And sure. you, there was nothing else apart from just banging on your intuition that it was time to move on hmm. or, or it was to time to dig deeper. Uh, so uh, 
I don't think we did a good job of it. Uh, the, 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 the one thing that we, I think, uh, probably did best among ourselves is uh, uh, between the two of us, we, we said that one of us is going to make the decision about, you know, wh- whether we are going to continue doing this, whether we're going to move on mm-hmm. to something else and, and et cetera. So because otherwise these things become very hard conversations, having spent, like, especially having spent as much time in it as as, as we did and, you know, things start becoming frustrating and, and it's it's there is this uh, temptation to try and find a logical way out of deciding <laughs> hey uh, sure. you know like what's the right thing to do over here but honestly you you are working with very little information to make logical choices over there so uh, i think that's that's one thing that we did well um, I, I don't I, I think the the thing that we did well was we we chose a person rather than it being the best person for the job. The, the, the fact yeah. is that we chose a person and the, the other person decided, okay, we're going to just follow, uh, you know, like the decision. And, and you know, even even though we may disagree, but th- that that actually put to rest a lot of other kind of problems that usually emanate when things are going hard, especially sure. between two co-founders. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I think with. With some of those ideas, it was pretty clear uh, when we were trying to pitch those to potential businesses about, hey, this is why you should use us and, and et cetera, et cetera, where, where there was very little reaction to it. Like it was, though I couldn't pinpoint this at a time, it was clear that this was probably not the top three problems for this person at this point of time. And, and you know, like it, it is great, but it's it's not his top three problem. Yeah. And uh, um, you could tell a little bit intuitively that, uh, you know, it, it wasn't really uh, something that maybe we could make it work. Maybe maybe mm. there's still a business in it, but maybe it was just about founder market fit rather than anything else. Um, but yeah, uh, I honestly don't think there was a science to it. Uh, <laughs> we, we sort of... Uh, uh, there, there were some ideas that we spent longer on simply because we were more excited and interested in it. And we could sort sure. of, we just had a little bit more visibility to it. And there were some ideas that we uh, were probably uh, a little less uh, uh, excited about from the gate, but it sure. seemed like we were doing it because to be honest, during those times, we, we, we worked on a few things that, that didn't necessarily uh Makes sense to us, but they seem to be working for someone else. So you start mm. doing all sorts of crazy things at the time, right? So, so we were doing those things. So there was no internal conviction for some of those things. Uh, and, and it was very apparent as soon as we started putting those things out that, hey, we realized that, okay, maybe this works. It just doesn't work for us. And mm. it's, it's all the same. Yeah, and it sounds like one of the kind of key themes of everything you're talking about here is the relationship that you have with Ragu and the trust that you both have in each other to say, hey, we have kind of our best interests in mind, each for the other, and you have this sort of implicit trust in the decisions and the motivations of the other person. So, I mean, pivoting this back to Sprinto then, right? You and Ragu decided, hey, we were thinking about getting an MBA, but instead let's go ahead and start a company. We iterate through all these different products. Most of them we're not excited about, but we find Recruiter Box. We end up building this. We get 3,000 customers, like you said, over the course of the seven-year period. And you get acquired in, I think that was 2018, 2019, somewhere in there. And now it's time to start another company. You seemingly almost immediately decide to start another company and you decide to stick with the same team as well. You and Ragu decide to, to stick together. So, I mean, tell me a little bit about that period there, right? You, you talked about the challenges that you'd identified with these different compliance questionnaires as a vendor trying to sell into all these different organizations. What about just you and Ragu being on the same page and saying, hey, we just had this exit. 
we're probably on cloud nine in some sense, but let's go ahead and just start this process all over again. And let's do this as the same team. Uh, what did that look like, that conversation between you two? Um, so it, it actually happened uh, in a manner where we exited the previous company because we knew we wanted to do another company. Um, okay. So it, it actually goes back to the time when we were looking at Recruiter Box. And Recruiter Box at the time was growing pretty well. And, you know, it was a cash cow, uh, to put it very bluntly. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it was a sort of, uh, in a more where it was, uh, uh, it didn't really take much from the founders to, to, to sort of keep running the company. And, and sure. you know, like uh, one of the things that it did not do, uh, which was, uh, you know, we had this internal ambition that whatever company that we built, whatever industry that actually works in, uh, ought to make a difference to that industry. It, that was the one thing that it wasn't really doing. Like, I don't think it was making any meaningful difference to the way recruiting itself worked. And, and that was one of the things that was uh, important to us. Hmm. And the reason to actually exit Recruiter Box was partly that, that, you know, hey, we, we thought there was another startup in, inside of us and uh, we wanted to give that time. And, uh, you know, in spite of it being a cash cow, was the reason that we we exited it and we exited it in a specific manner where you know, we didn't have golden handcuffs and uh, so we wanted to spend the least amount of time and and you know move on to do something that's actually uh, uh, you know, what was the other startup going to be so sure. uh, in, in some way implicit to the decision of exiting recruiter box was the fact that we were going to do mm. another startup uh, though we we were a little bit burnt out so we gave ourselves some time so not to do it immediately on the back of it so we we, we have what a year and a half between the two companies um but yeah that was that was sort of uh baked into that choice got it got it and so talk me through the problem space a little bit further right because you mentioned hey we know that this whole vendor assessment process is very cumbersome it's something that needs to be automated a little bit further and i think this is a very common uh, kind of qualm and understanding in the cybersecurity industry today but there's a lot of companies that are trying to approach it from different angles Right. So the same way you had this iteration with Recruiter Box 10 years before, did you go through that same process with Sprinto or did you say, hey, based on our experience here, which is maybe a bit more robust, having built a company, having already gone through this iteration process previously, you have that intuition a little bit more dialed the second time around. What did that look like? Yeah, I think we had better intuition, but we also didn't trust our intuitions anymore. Uh, that that's what okay. running one business do, does for you. So uh, one of we were a lot more uh, prepared this time. So, so specifically, what we did was that we didn't exactly have one idea. Um, so, mm. so we we knew we wanted to do another startup, but we hadn't quite decided what exactly that was gonna be. And, and we actually explored about half a dozen ideas. But one thing that we did well this time uh, was that uh, you know we, we we actually interviewed a lot of uh, potential customers for each of these ideas. So, so right. we had a lot of interviews and we got better at how to conduct this interview so that you're not trying to, you know, kind of rig them and trying to reinforce what you wish was true, uh, right. which was, which is an easy habit to get into. And, and we forced ourselves to not, a, not write a line of code until we, we, you know, we actually validate that the problem really exists. Hmm. So, uh, so that took some doing in the sense that we had to sort of, uh, curb your uh, you know your your temptation to start doing the things that you really know how to do very well uh, but but yeah we, we we put that discipline in and, and we had a lot of interviews where it, it became apparent that the, the the specific problem that we went through wasn't unique to us uh, that there was uh, it, you know it was a relatively commonplace problem and to be perfectly honest i was surprised by the the 
I only knew that the problem was a lot more prevalent than I originally thought it was, uh, which mm. is a better position to be in than the opposite uh, after we actually put out the product. But, uh, you know, we, we did a fair bit of research before we actually uh, jumped in this time. So the process was very different. Uh, there's this book called The Mom Test. Have you have, have you come across it? I haven't heard of it. Right. So it's a very small book. Uh, and I, I don't <laughs> know how I came across it, but it, it's basically based on this premise that uh you know, when you are, uh, when you're trying to validate an idea, um, a lot of people are trying to be supportive of you. So, so when you tell them that, hey, this is what I'm trying to sure. build it, what do you think about it? Um, no one's really going to tell you the ugly truth that, hey, it sounds interesting, but I'm not going to buy it if you actually built it. So they're trying to be supportive. They say, okay, that sounds interesting, you know, and you're getting all the wrong signals out of this entire ex- uh, exercise. So, so the, there's a particular way you should be doing interviews uh or customer interviews and it, it sort of recommends a way of actually doing it so i think that that short book was very useful uh, <laughs> we, we, we did these interviews in a fairly unbiased manner uh, so so it gave us a good signal so th- that, that that's the process what happened in the one and a half years <laughs> interesting okay so i mean talk me through the the sprinto product a little bit further because my understanding i'll try to put it in my own words and then i'll, I'll give you the yeah. opportunity as well my understanding is kind of ongoing compliance checks for cloud-based companies. So if you're trying to verify compliance with SOC 2, HIPAA, PCI, et cetera, you have those different checks in place uh, that can validate that all the appropriate controls are in place. And if they're not, then point you to the appropriate remediation steps for each of those. Is that basically in a nutshell, anything else you'd add? No, that's that's precisely it. Uh, the, the the additional thing being though that uh, we don't only cover your cloud infrastructure. We cover mm. all the kinds of entities and assets that you might have that might be required for you to become SOC 2 or ISO or PCI compliant or any of these frameworks. So mm. you you were asking in the uh, earlier about how are we different than CSPM? And one of the right. simplest way to think about it, CSPM would only focus on your cloud infrastructure. So whereas we would also think about controls that need to happen on your let's say your staff and and your uh, you know your end points and um, let's say your code repositories and, and the other places where basically there are information hmm. security concerns and so on and so forth. So we cover all the entire gamut of it. So we are not just doing the, the cloud part of SOC 2. We actually do SOC 2 end-to-end for a cloud company. Interesting. Okay. So, I mean, talk me through that a little bit more then. What is it that you're hooking into or what are the sort of processes that you're building in order to be able to capture that information from all these different sources, right? Because I think Part of the reason CSPM, Cloud Security Posture Management, has gotten so popular over the last couple of years with all these different companies building it in is because so much of the data is actually provided by these cloud providers that all you're really doing is fetching that data and then displaying it in a sort of dashboard. But as soon as we start talking about endpoints, and especially when you start talking about controls related to the actual people in the organization, I have to imagine you lose at least some sense of simplicity or some sense of automation. So how have you approached that? So that's a great question. And I'm glad you asked that. So this was honestly the first question that we had when we started working on Sprint about how much of this is, uh, you know, can, can, how much of this can you automate? Because we did definitely right. didn't want to build a company that's going to be part automation and part kind of like human services. And, and that was uh, like our, our first mandate, honestly, was that, uh, you know, try to find an answer to this question. So it turns out that what you can do is, uh, you know, for the cloud, uh, many of the 
modern cloud providers, they have APIs you can hook into that and you can sort of get like automate the process of where you are uh, in terms of your security controls on your cloud. But we do the same with other providers. For example, with cloud repositories, we would integrate with them again. And then we, we'll, we'll try and help make sure that you are implementing a good change management system, either via your ticketing system or your uh, code repositories or a combination of the two. Hmm. Uh, when it comes to uh, controls related to your staff, we actually integrate with your HRMS system. And uh, you know we, we try and actually get all the information that's necessary. Where such integrations are not possible, we actually build that entire piece ourselves. So for example, wow. inside of Sprinter is a piece of uh, around policy management, which means that uh, you'll be able to manage, create, edit, version control your policies, uh, make sure that you know your employees can sign those policies whenever they join and periodically thereafter. And the entire process around the policy is baked into the, into the product. When it comes to employee endpoints, we'll either hook up into an MDM solution that you might be using or an endpoint protection solution that you might be using like Kanji or something else, but most young companies don't. So we actually ended up building our own MDM software, uh, uh, a baseline version of that, which, which is hmm. baked into Sprinto. So you can use that and you know that, that sort of runs on your employees' laptops and it tells us whether you know their screen lock is enabled, disk is encrypted and so on and so forth. So that, that was a massive exercise, right? Like uh, if, if you look at any company uh, you know, like you rightly mentioned, there are there are there are entities beyond things that you can automate, and, and for each of them, we had to come up with some answer about, hey, does this exist? Uh, can we recommend our customers that they use something that we can integrate into, or can we do we have to build that ourselves? And that's the reason why it was a massive exercise. So everywhere we could, we, we actually built those things. In some cases, we integrate with those items, but for every piece of that information, right from making sure, um, you know, something as uh, I'll pick an example, right? Background checks. Sure. One of the controls in SOC is going to be that, hey, you're doing background checks on your employees. And, you know, we actually uh, work with a lot of background checks providers where we integrate with their systems and, and help our uh, customers build this process where when an employee joins, they, they can click a button, fire off a background check, and, and that actually spent collects the information about this background check, whether it finished or not. And cases where you can do that because increasingly companies have remote employees and, you know, your background check provider may not be able to do background checks automatically in some geographies. Uh, we have sort of hooks where, you know, you can say that, okay, you do it manually, but there's a specific place inside of Sprinter where you can upload a background check. And we, we're checking right. off that box that, hey, for this employee, the background check was finished and so on and so forth. So, uh, the, the long and the short answer is, uh, uh, you know, compliance is a lot of cases and there are hundreds of Definitely. cases. And for each of those cases, we had to come up with an answer about how we're going to deal with that. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it certainly sounds like a quite robust approach in terms of thinking through, okay, each of these different elements, how are we going to address it? Kind of first and foremost, thinking about other um, external integrations that might exist out there today, rather than trying to rebuild every single element into your own platform, right? Relying on some of these different tools that that other organizations are using, but then paying specific attention to the gaps that exist in there, like that policy piece that you mentioned and saying, hey, this is a clear gap uh, that exists in other tool sets. So if we can go ahead and build in a either low or high fidelity um, feature into this platform, then that's just another opportunity for a value add. So one of the pieces that I am curious about, right, is this whole process, like we talked about, is sorely lacking the kind of automation and standardization. So sometimes, to my understanding, even if you have a tool like this, a vendor is still going to ask for some sort of questionnaire in order to, to validate 
that you've kind of met their, their specific organizational requirements. So mm -hmm. you're collecting all this information from all these different sources across the, the customer's ecosystem. Have you been able, have you seen successful cases in the past where users can just export a Sprinto report and their customers are going to be happy or auditors are going to be happy with that as kind of the core artifact? Or is it more of kind of a helpful reference piece to then go ahead and answer some of these questionnaires? That's a great question. And embedded in that, I think there are a few other questions, but uh, so, sure. so I'll take them one by one. Um, you, you know, uh, auditors are an important stakeholder in this entire equation because yep. at the end of the day, they are the ones who are giving you the report and certification. And we treated them as first class citizens. So in fact, the way we actually went about building this whole thing is um, is to work with auditors first. So, so hmm. our, our favorite pastime during those 12, 15 months that we were actually building out the product was to go to auditors and say, hey, please audit us. And, and they were more than happy okay. because that's new business to them. And that's how we actually learned the ropes of, uh, you know, what is it that they look for? And, uh, you know, we just told them that, hey, we are another software company, cloud-hosted software company, just please audit us. And, and you know, we were, we were learning through uh, what they look for in, in software companies as they audit these things. And, and we were trying to see that, okay, uh, this is what they want. How can I automate that and work backwards from there? So, so we want to make sure that everything that we are building eventually meets an auditor's requirement. So, so that was one thing that was sort of baked into the product. So with each auditor that we work with today, with every audit partner that we work with, uh, we, we, we make sure that, uh, you know, they have internal processes around the way they do quality checks and peer reviews. And, you know, we, we make sure that our, our software is giving them the information that they need in the format and cataloged in the form that they need because we want to eventually make their life easy. And that's how our customer's eventual life becomes easier. So, so that's something that's, you know, treated as a first class citizen inside of a product. So with every uh, framework that we work with, like SOC2 or ISO, et cetera, we actually have a network of auditors that we work with. And we work closely with these auditors to make sure that their requirements are met inside of the software. And consequently, our customer's life become a lot easier. It's a little different with our customers' customers, though. Like you said, sure. there is a lot of variance in, in in the kind of things that they will ask. Uh, you know, like uh, for some people, a, a standard software report is sufficient, but in many cases, you're going to get asked for a very unique uh, security questionnaire, and, and that right. can run into hundreds of questions. And uh, that's something that we're working on as we speak, honestly. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, the 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 answer there is that uh, what, what Sprinto really does, given its knowledge of our customers' environment is that we bootstrap a knowledge base of, uh, you know, this is basically answers to some commonly asked questionnaires. So there are some oh, standard okay. questionnaires like Siglite or Cake or uh, Hecvat and, and so on, some of these things, so we, which which we sort of help you answer upfront and, and we bootstrap like this knowledge base for you. And then what happens is if you get a new question and each of those questions, uh, we have an AI ML based algorithm that can, you know, compare that question against a bank of existing questions and find if there's an oh, existing question that's close enough and, and help you answer that. And at the end of the day, you will still find cases which you were not able to answer, in which case you, you take that as a new data point, you answer that, but that becomes like a new uh, thing again in your database. And, in your, and library. You know, your knowledge bank is sort of always updating itself and learning and getting better and better. So over a period of time, your, your ability to answer these questionnaires is actually improving. Interesting. So, I mean, talking about that that machine learning example that you just provided, I think you said that's the one that's still under development, right? So maybe you don't have it fully fleshed out at this point. But let's say you get a questionnaire from a vendor or a customer, rather. I mean, do you have an example of like what sort of accuracy or 
what percentage of the questions that are asked would be able to be answered through that model. Like a standard questionnaire that you get from uh, some customer would be, I don't know, 80% would be able to be answered. So then all of a sudden the organization only has to fill out the remaining 20%. I'm sure part of it varies, but do you have any kind of rough data around that? Um, still under development, but our yeah. internal aim is to get it at high as 90%. So, so let's see wow. how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, and the other piece that I'm curious about, because I hadn't really heard about this before, is you mentioned those three different kind of standardized formats for vendor questionnaires. I think one of them you mentioned was Cake. I don't remember the other two names off the top of my head here. Frankly, that's not something I've, I've heard about too much in this space. I've heard about all these problems with questionnaires, but I haven't heard people talking about uh, these standardized options. And it sounds like there might be a similar uh, kind of parallel with the world of software bill of materials, where you have a couple of competing standards that each are largely uh, addressing the same kind of needs, uh, but there's a little bit of kind of competition between them to say who is going to be the de facto standard moving forward. And in some ways that kind of drives down adoption. And I think that's changing in the SBOM world, but I'm curious from your perspective, what is the sort of hesitation for more and more organizations to use those standard questionnaires that exist out there? I, uh, you know, if I had a penny for every time that I had, a, had that question myself, uh, <laughs> I, I'd be a rich man. But, uh, you know, honestly, I, I think uh, it's it's kind of the same story that I see in a lot of other standards, uh, including technical ones, yeah. um, where you have a set of standards and then somebody comes along and, you know, says that, hey, this is not good about it. This is not good about it. Or you, know, you have three standards and they say, okay, this is one peculiar problem I have, which is solved by none of these three standards. And then lo and behold, now you have four standards. And then somebody else says that, hey, this is one particular thing that these four standards don't do well. And then there's just a proliferation of these things. And it's an interesting question to ask as to why in any industry does a standard eventually become a winner? That uh, There are certain things that probably work for it. It hasn't definitely happened in the security questionnaires space for sure. Right. And uh, and I'm increasingly seeing, for example, uh, that uh, a lot of uh, chief security officers, they, they might even like a standard, but they, but they don't want to use uh, the standard uh, in, in a completely... Uh, as is format. So, so what they right. do is that they, they'll pick up a some standard like SIGLIGHT and, and they'll say, okay, okay, my needs are unique and I want to tweak this a little bit to make sure that it meets my unique environment. And, and so they, you know, they, what you would have, if you're looking at it from the outside, is like maybe 80 or 90% of the questions are the same, but then you have this variation in the last 10, 20% of the questionnaires questions so that which are, which are, uh, unique to the environment of the of the of the buyer and you know so as a result you you don't get exact questionnaires everywhere but when we actually look at some of those questionnaires it's very clear that you know you can tell that this was sort of built off this thing as a base right and, and then uh, sometimes when when people sort of move jobs they, they they carry over the questionnaire that they were using in their previous organization sure. to the next one and then there's this whole um, thing that happens like it happens with music right you know you, you just the styles pass on and, and so on and so forth so i as yet am uh uh you know like as, as a person who builds software it would really help me if there was a standard or, or there were a few standards but the reality is that i don't see that happening in the foreseeable future and it's interesting in part to me too because cybersecurity feels like an industry that's already so comfortable using standards, right? Like we have ISO, we have NIST, we have CISA, we have ISACA, all these different governing bodies that are producing 
different standards for these organizations. And even though there are several that exist out there, organizations still have no problems picking one or the other. Whereas it feels to me in this questionnaire process, there's more and more organizations that haven't picked any of them yet. And maybe part of that is just uh, these standards continuing to gain awareness over time. And, and just as more and more months pass of organizations struggling with this, this problem that'll change over time. So, I mean, one of the other pieces that I want to want to talk about here, right, is you mentioned this kind of core feature on your roadmap as far as the, the machine learning, um, getting integrated into this questionnaire answer and the knowledge base and library that lies behind that. It sounds like a huge feature build out and certainly something that, that sounds exciting to me and I'm, and I'm sure it would be to your customers as well. What are some of the other kind of core competencies that are on your roadmap as well as you think about what the future of Sprinto looks like and, and how those tentacles can keep expanding throughout an organization to continue collecting from different data points and uh, create that single source of truth as much as possible? So the way, uh, way we look at this in Sprinto is our job is to eventually help our customers help sort of clear a security review. Uh, so mm-hmm. that that's quite simply the way we think of our job, and you know that entails various kinds of things. So, so in some cases it is compliances, uh, in some cases it's uh, you know helping you answer security questionnaires. Uh, we also have something that's shipping out soon, um, uh, which is ability to sort of share like a standardized report uh, that you were talking mm-hmm. about that for, right. for our customers with their customers or or with any other stakeholders that they might want to do it, including investors, where they can paint a picture of look this is what a security posture is and, and sort of play this game on the front foot rather than in a defensive manner. So you answer questions that are being asked, but rather than, you know, lead with security and, and sort of paint a picture of what you're saying, that you're taking uh, security seriously and, and not as an afterthought. So so we have some tools around, around that area being built as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. just so that you can actually uh, advertise your security posture rather than just uh, answer questions about it. So, so that that's another aspect that we're building on. Um, that said, uh, I think... Uh, one of the things that sounds more of the same, but it's very crucial uh, a part of what we are building is um, it, it's often that uh, companies build uh, uh, software for frameworks which are very popular, the SOC 2, the ISO, the GDPR, the HIPAA, PCI. But uh, increasingly, what we realize is that every software company is a global software company, uh, even more so than it was 10 years ago. And uh, what's really happening is that uh, the, there is a huge proliferation of especially privacy frameworks across the globe. So Europe right. has GDPR, uh, UK has UK GDPR, uh, California has uh, yeah. uh, CCPA now, Canada has PIPEDA. Uh, I think three more uh, American states are coming up with their own privacy laws in the mm. in the coming year. And and you know so so what's what's basically becoming a reality of doing business uh, uh, as a software is that you have to. Uh, you know, adhere by more and more regulatory standards, uh, especially around security and privacy. And there's a there's a proliferation of those things. So, so Sprinter today already covers about uh, 14 frameworks, including NIST, FedRAMP, uh, CCPA, and, and a bunch of these other frameworks. And we want to keep expanding that. So, so that's that's mm-hmm. something that's basically on our radar. So what we want to give our customers is the ability to sort of uh, meet as many uh, of these frameworks as possible. And that's not an easy job in itself. There's, at first, I thought that, you know, SOC 2 is like the most important thing. Huh. But it turns out that, you know, uh, as compared to at least five years ago, there is a, there's a lot more standards that you get asked for as, as you start doing business. So for example, I just recently learned, for example, that uh, if you're doing business with a uh, <clears throat> 
institution of higher education in the US, uh, you, you're likely going to get asked for this questionnaire called HECWAT. And mm -hmm. there's a certain specific uh, set of things that they expect you to have. And you could you could frame it as a questionnaire or you could think of it as a framework like SOC2, but fundamentally you're doing the same thing. There's, there's a prescribed set of things that you know your, your, the university wants you to implement in your software if they want to use it. And uh, so, you know, every industry, every geo, sort of every industry segment, it's, it's sort of coming up with its own specific thing about how they want to make sure that uh, companies in that industry or data about that industry is protected. And that's just uh, something that we are also looking very closely at. So, and we want to meet our customers where, wherever they need us to be, which is, right. uh, you know, a broad range of these things. So whether that's frameworks, uh, the kind of questionnaires that we help you solve, uh, we, we we work on uh, helping you things with uh, you you know like actually helping you answer those questionnaires even beyond the standard ones and around uh, other things that are helping you clear the security reviews is the way we look at it. So yeah. internally, our job is to look at this as you know we want to be the trust currency for cloud commerce. Cloud fundamentally means that my data is on your servers, and there is going to be some requirement of me. Uh, giving you enough assurance that I'm going to keep your data safe and secure. And that just takes various, uh, you know, sizes and forms. And we want to be everywhere uh, along those sizes and forms. It's amazing to think you mentioned the, the three U.S. states that are looking at coming out with new privacy laws over the course of the coming year. It's amazing to think that at some point there could be a different privacy law and, and regulation for every single U.S. state and the amount of overhead that that creates for all these different companies to comply with each of those individually, it's that's an incredible future. And, and that's certainly one that would need more and more tools like Sprinto in order to track that compliance. So as it gets more and more complex, obviously more headaches are, are coming for all these different uh, vendors and, and security companies as well. But certainly there's there's some benefit for you in that uh, and certainly lots of demand for, for years to come. So ceremonial last question for you. Are you currently looking for investment or hiring? Uh, we're always hiring. Yes, uh, we, yeah. we recently raised a series a, a couple of months ago. So we are growing uh, very rapidly. Um, and, and, you know, hiring is perhaps one of the most important things that I and my co-founder do. So we're always hiring. I think there are about 20 plus open positions on our on our career space. So if you if you're wow. listening to this and if you if you're interested in joining us, please uh, drop me a line. I'm Girish at Sprinter.com. Um, regarding raising investments, uh, you know, we're putting a head down uh, and, and executing yeah. as of now. Uh, uh, thanks to our recent round. Uh, so so I, I think that's a little bit uh, away. But you know, uh, so we're just focused on executing right now. That that's the way we're looking at this. Perfect. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for your time, Girish, and best of luck with continuing to grow Sprinto here. Thank you so much for having me, Kyle. I really enjoyed this. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and you can write to me at kyle at secureventures.io. I'm Kyle McNulty, and you've been listening to Secure Ventures.